Hey, everybody. I'm Sherry. I'm an alcoholic. <clears throat> so I got two things working against me here. I've got this cold. I'm hoping my voice will, will continue on. But, um, and that I'm uh, a little bit sleep deprived. We'll see if that uh, fog of sleep deprivation will help, you know, foster a good speaker, speaker uh, a good speech or not. But um, so my sobriety date is June 8th of 2014. Um, I have a awesome sponsor. I sponsor women. I have a long line of very strong women that I, uh, that I'm, um, proud to be in a sponsorship line with. Um, and that's been indispensable in the journey that I've taken for the last three and a half years. So uh, I appreciate those women every day as I appreciate all the people that, I, that foster my growth in this program. Um, so what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Um, you know, I was thinking about this earlier today. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not really sure what happened. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in a home in Florida with two parents, no alcoholism in the family. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I, you know, pretty normal childhood. Um, that feeling of not belonging, I can definitely relate to that. And the way that I, um, you know, my solution to that was to hide, was to isolate, as a lot of us do. So I, I really see the roots of my alcoholism in my childhood and uh, growing up in Florida. But, um, you know, as I said, pretty normal, um, <clears throat> pretty normal family life. I have two brothers and a sister, all older. I am the baby, and I wear that proudly. Um, <clears throat> I, uh, I guess it was, uh, I was about 13 or 14 when I started um, becoming interested in uh, uh, derelict activities, I, I should say. Um, started skipping school, started, uh, I had two girlfriends and we were inseparable through, um, through middle school and, and high school. Um, and we got into all kinds of, of trouble together and it was always about what we could get away with. Um, started smoking pot at 13, doing a lot of other things um, at 13, um, which is not as young as some, but younger than others. It's young enough for me. Um, I, uh, I guess I should just say that, you know, drugs are part of my story, but I am an alcoholic. And uh, alcoholism is what brought me here, so I hope that I'm not offensive in, uh, in relaying that history. Um, so I went to high school. I always did well. It was, uh, it was pretty easy to do well in high school. <clears throat> um, I graduated from Brandon High School. My parents divorced around the age of 15, so my mother is from here. So I kind of went back and forth for a little while and uh, ended up here. Um, where I raised my kids, but that's later. Um, went uh, to college. I started at USF in uh, in um, in Tampa, and by then I was um, doing everything except my schoolwork. Uh, I was an art major, and I don't know if anybody knows anything about art. You, uh, the primary ingredient there is discipline, and I had none. Um, but what I did like to do was work. I worked uh, at three different jobs when I was in college, 
And, uh, and, and it's always been like that. It's always been not one, but three jobs. Um, I liked the income. I liked what I could do with it. You know, and it was the fast lane, and that's what it felt like. And, uh, and that felt good to me. And so I sought out all the reasons, all the, uh, all the ways that I could jump on that fast lane. Um, and that was drugs and alcohol. Um, I, I like amphetamines. I like anything that, you know, sets me up to, uh, to just run with my hair on fire. I, uh, <clears throat> I did not finish college. Um, I, uh, about the age of 21, um, I had gone back and forth between Greensboro and, uh, and uh, Florida. I pretty much settled here after uh, having to leave college because I wasn't, I just wasn't <clears throat> cut out for doing that. But that left me a whole lot of other time to get into, uh, to follow that derelict behavior pattern. I uh, met my husband, um, my first husband, my first hostage. Although I tend to think it was the other way around, but you know, I'm working on that. I'm, I, I'm coming back. Um, we, uh, we got into a lot of heavier um, drugs and at, at 20, 21, um, the height of my drug use was, <clears throat> um, and it's difficult to look back on now and even admit, even though I talk about it freely, but the height of my drug use, I was injecting cocaine and thinking that that was okay. Um, I started having kids. Uh, that marriage lasted four years. That was just long enough to get pregnant three times. Um, and I left pregnant from that marriage uh, because that was, the, that was the end for me. I just, I couldn't keep doing cocaine. I had other interests and, uh, and I walked away from drugs and from then on it was an alcoholic highway. <clears throat> I, uh, I, we were living in Pennsylvania at the time and I took, a, took both kids and the pregnancy. I came back down, I moved in with mom and uh, tried to get my life in order. And what that looked like was a return to college. I went on welfare um, to be able to do those things and to achieve those things. And I finished. Um, and I went to graduate school and I finished that. And um, you know, my, I, uh, my kids were very active. I was, a, I was an active parent. My drinking was more uh, weekend drinking every other weekend when the kids would go with their dad. <clears throat> It was always um, unknown how much I would drink. Um, I never understood that until later, but um, it was always, didn't know if I was gonna black out that, or not black out, because I didn't really do that a lot. But um, so weekend drinking, raising the kids, got through college, started a career, and it is a career that I'm still involved with today. So, you know, all in all, doesn't look too bad, you know. Uh, it, it's easy for me to have denied alcoholism for a long time. Um, and then kids leave. I'm an empty nester. All of my kids, my kids are 30-ish, somewhere around there. But And I have three, and they're awesome. They're all awesome. They're all finished college. I mean, you know, to look at us on the outside, we're just a typical, you know, dysfunctional family, a single-parent family. Um, but after they left, uh, I just started in, uh, increasing my social life, which increased the drinking. And, uh, you know, I noticed the pattern. I noticed um, 
I noticed my uh, desire to go out and drink was, um, was elevating, was escalating, was um, getting out of hand. Um, I never really blacked out, though. Uh, did a lot of brownouts. I, I missed details here and there, but um, you know, alcohol was was taking its hold. And um, I came to AA when uh, I had my first blackout. I went out. It was a girls' night out, and I, I remember actually probably the only time I've ever done this. We were at a bar. I knew the bartender. I knew a lot of them, and. I, I said, Katie, I said, take my keys. I've had too much to drink. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I don't know why I was, you know, I, I was I trying to impress somebody and be responsible in my, uh, you know, inebriation. I don't know. But uh, gave her the keys. I called a cab, <clears throat> and I'm getting ready to leave. And I said, Katie, I need my keys back to get in my house. The cab's on the way. And she hand me, handed me my keys. And I got in my car and I drove off. And I do not remember which direction I turned out of the parking lot. I don't, that's, that's where it ended. Um, and I still don't remember, but I do, the first thing I remember after that was waking up in my carport with the right side of my car bashed in and my mother staring at me from the front door. Um, when my mother got older, um, she moved in with me so that <laughs> I could take care of her. Um, and that was my first blackout, and I went to an AA meeting the next day. I went to the Unity Club uh, down in Glenwood, and I uh, met some great people. I met Doc, who I will never forgive, called me out. He said, I want to know why she's here. And uh, you know, I said uh, you know, what had happened the night before, and that you know, I was afraid that I couldn't quit. And, you know, and I guess at that time I'm still thinking, you know, I maybe could quit. I don't, I mean, I'm not so sure I need to be here. You know, that second guessing. Um, but deep down, I knew it. I, I just, I just knew I wasn't going to be able to do. And in, in that, uh, in subconscious way, where we're not really facing anything yet. But, uh, but you know, and so I picked up a chip that day, and I. Stayed in for six months. I uh, found Serendipity, which I failed to mention is my home group. And I uh, met Michelle, among other uh, awesome people. And I, uh, and I was amazed at how easy it was. It was like people would ask me how I'm doing, and I'd say, oh, you know, I got this. This is awesome. You know, I, you know, I don't need to drink. And that fosters what? The belief that I can go back out there and get a hold of it. And, you know, I know more now. I can go do this. I can, um, I can manage. Um, it didn't help that my family does not think I'm alcoholic. My kids are not uh, not on board with the idea, um, but they were gone. They didn't see it. They didn't, you know. And I failed to mention several <laughs> several incidences that might have convinced them. But um, so I've got my family saying, you know, you're fine. You know, you, you quit for six months. Bravo. You know, let's let's go out and have some wine with dinner. And I followed right along. Um, so I went out six months to the day, and I just remember the thought of going home, driving by my favorite bar, which incidentally was the one that I left that night that I blacked out, pulling in and saying, I'm going to drink. Uh, I'm done. I'm going to drink. And I went at it with that kind of determination. And it was on from then on. So I guess that was um, 2013. 
Um, at some point in my AA, uh, early AA sobriety, I met a guy, and I went out with him, and we, uh, we went out together. And he is, uh, I believe he's still out there, but uh, we went out together in a big way, and it got to where I was drinking almost every day and was going, <clears throat> going to Florida with some girlfriends. And I remember thinking, this is it. I'm going to drink. Like, I don't have to worry about saving face and, uh, and controlling my drinking. I can go out and drink as much as I want. And the thought of that was so exciting to me that I had looked forward to that trip more than any other trip that I've ever been on. And I went down there, and that's what we did. I, we stocked the refrigerator. We had a house. Um, and uh, there were about six of us, including my adult daughter. And we drank in the morning, and we drank in the afternoon, and we drank at night. Uh, there were, uh, was one day my daughter had to bring me back from the pool and feed me something while I'm passing out on the couch, and then she put me to bed. But then I got up later, and I was ready to go out again. And it, there was nothing wrong with that. Why is that, why, why did, you know, why isn't there something wrong with that? It's fun. That's what we do. Um, and that's, that's part of, you know, not knowing about this disease and not knowing how it's affecting you. And uh, <clears throat> I took a nosedive off the cliff that trip. And when I came back, I was drinking, um, it was at least a bottle every day of wine. I was a wino. And that progressed to uh, two to three bottles a day by the time I quit drinking. And that was every day. And that was after work. I never went to work impaired. Um, but when you drink until 2 and your shift starts at 6 a.m., I mean, isn't that the same thing? You know, you're drinking before work. So I like to think that I didn't go to work impaired, but that's another falsehood that you have to, I have to face it, you know, as, as I grow in recovery. <clears throat> And I got to where I couldn't, um, I couldn't face not drinking. Um, and the last straw was I went to New York. My son, my oldest son, lives in New York, and I went to visit him. And I had gotten there on a Thursday. He was working. I caught up with a college friend of mine who was in the music business. So uh, we spent the afternoon drinking champagne and snorting cocaine in some music producer's loft, which sounds glorious. Right? Sounds. Uh, you know, sounds like I've hit the high time, right? And uh, I went back to the hotel to meet Adam and uh, was doing all that behind his back. We went to a show that night. I barely remember going. I just remember getting up every 10 minutes and going to the bathroom and, you know, doing another line so that I could stay awake and, you know, just live the life. Um, and, you know, I'm very close with my kids, and, and to do that kind of thing, it, it did affect me. It wasn't something I could deny. So when I got back from that trip, I said, that's it. I'm not going to drink anymore. And uh, got back on a Sunday, Monday morning, went in at 6 a to do my shift, got off at 4, and uh, stopped at the store on my way home, picked up another couple bottles. It was just not possible for me not to do that. So I, uh, I finished off those, and... That was a Monday. On Tuesday is the day that I called Michelle. And we went to uh, Open Door. And I asked her to be my sponsor that night. And that was in March. And I wish I had stayed sober at that point. I couldn't do it. Uh, the most I could get was 30 days. 
Um, I did get, I went 30 days and then it was, it was on again. Um, I couldn't go more than that. And I, I always went out in anger. It was always, damn it, I'm going to do this. You know, I mean, that's what it took for me to get out there. Always had to be mad about it. Um, so it got to the point where with my job, um, what I do uh, requires a license and uh, that license, um, if, if you're impaired, if you get you know, obvious charges of drunk driving, um, it, they call your license into question. So they have a, a program that, uh, that helps with those. It's you know, an alcoholic uh, self-help program. And it's a five-year contract, and most doctors and uh, PAs. I'm a I'm a PA in emergency medicine. Um, most of the people that participate in this program have um, <clears throat> been referred because they have consequences that show up on paper. I never had consequences. I never got a DUI. Um, I never had consequences on paper. So I I looked again. I looked good. You know, I like, kept up the appearance. So when I could not stop drinking, I self-referred to this agency. And so um, that is how I ultimately quit drinking, which sometimes feels like cheating. Sometimes feels like uh, I couldn't do it by myself, so I put something into place that would make me do this. Um, but I don't think that I would have stopped. I know I would have kept drinking if it, not, if it had not been for that program. So I went into the program, it's a five-year contract, I'm still on it, but I went in it on June 8th of 2014, and it's been phenomenal. Um, so I'm in the program, I, part of feeling like I cheated was, um, I always felt like I had not gotten to a point of desperation, and I don't know why, because there was some motivation behind self-reporting and turning yourself in, and uh, you know, jeopardizing a, you know your career, and what if I couldn't do this? Then you know my career is over. And um, so there was some measure of desperation, I think, that would motivate me to do that. But I never felt it. I never, you know, uh, high bottom drunk. Uh, you know. Um, so when I started in the program and came to step one and started working with Michelle, um, and I had to believe that I was an alcoholic and that I was uh, unmanageable. That was still kind of unfamiliar. Um, if I look back on my life, I'm the one that graduated from high school. I'm, I got my college degree. I raised three kids. I'm, you know, I'm good. Um, so, you know, what's so unmanageable about my life? Um, unmanageable is injecting cocaine at the age of 19 to 20. Uh, unmanageable is having it in the house and thinking that it's okay to mix those two things while raising children. Um, there are parts of, we, were, we lived in Philadelphia, and there are parts of Philadelphia, um, the, you know, uh, you go down there to buy what you're looking for, and they, there's a drug dealer on every corner, and they have shifts. It's like their job, and you get familiar with them, and I took my kids down there with me. What, what is manageable about that? Um, I drove. Uh, we all, you know, most of us all drove. That's unmanageability. Um, I didn't see any of this. And as three and a half years have gone by, I'm still what I consider, um, you know, an infant in this program. Um, 
I have so much to learn, and every day I remember new things. I remember things that I did. Uh, I remember people I came into contact with that, um, you know, still cause pain in some way, anger or angst, or I know I did this wrong, or, um, you know. So unmanageability came to be obvious to me if I just sit down and think about it. And I think that's part of the willingness that you have to have when you come into this program. Um, you know, step two, you hear a lot of people talk about why that step is so hard. Um, uh, I'll give you a, a, an idea of what higher power meant in our house. All three of my kids are atheists. <laughs> um, and so higher power just uh, had to get over that whole ideal of religion and, uh, <clears throat> you know, that I had to believe, I had to subscribe to, to one story or another. And it's taken me a long time to come up with my version of what my higher power is and how that can give me the, the added um, indispensable uh, help with quitting drinking and with continuing to learn what I need to learn in this life and, and to continue in the program. Um, step three, um, made a decision. I um, made a decision when I came into AA and I thought, well, that's good. But that was a decision I made. It was a decision that um, you know, I took the action for. If the decision is to turn your will over to the care of God, um, as you understand him, um, you know, that's, that's a wholly different thing. That's taking it out of your hands and placing it in something else. And, uh, you know, that was, that was a hard one too. You know, it still is, you know, to fight off that ego and fight off <clears throat> how you think you should run your life. Um, but I do it, and I do it every day, and I have to go back to steps one, two, and three every day, or I forget, and I have to keep reading, and I have to keep interacting, and um, I have to keep giving, and uh, if you're not doing those things, then if I'm not doing those things, then I get, uh, I get stagnant. Uh, I rest on my laurels, and it's not a good place to be. Um, when I did steps uh, four and five, uh, with Michelle, it was cursory, you know, it was all the stuff that I could remember. Um, I've been working on a second four step for, uh, I don't know, what, uh, nine months now, Michelle. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it, it's amazing that when you start getting into working those steps again, that um, all these new things come up, and it's not just memories of those things that you did when you were drunk. It's all these things that you've learned since then, and all the ways that you have changed in the, the perspective. You know, Chuck C. talked about a new pair of glasses, and uh, it's, you know, getting your prescription for those glasses and wearing them every day and, and seeing what, the, what the, new, uh, the new life, the new horizon looks like, because it's a wholly different one. And I thought it was good before. I thought, you know, I was successful, and I you know, had all those things that kept me in denial, but, you know, those are markers of success, right? I'm good. Um, and it's nothing. It's, it's like the difference between making a decision yourself and letting something else make the decision for you and trusting that process. Um, step six and seven are a couple of my favorite favorite steps. Um, learning humility is something um, 
that some days I think I got, some days I think it's easy, some days it's just so obvious, um, and then some days I find myself um, taking that power back, taking that, that will back, and uh, leaving acceptance behind. And um, So six and seven for me are um, a reminder of what humility can serve in your life. Uh, it's, it's proof of uh, how that higher power works um, for me anyway. Um, eight and nine, I, I didn't have a long list, you know, further evidence of my denial, right? That's how I see it. Um, I keep a list now. When I think about things, uh, things that I did or, or memories um, that pop up, I write them down. And I, I believe that when it's time for me to make those amends, to those people that the, the moment will present itself, and I have to believe that. This is part of the acceptance, it's part of the process. Um, <clears throat> I've been fortunate enough to make um, several amends that made a difference, and I hope it made a difference for them, but it, you know, it's for my growth, you know, it's for, for cleaning up my side of the street, and, uh, and another ingredient there to growth and, and uh, prosperity in AA. Um, Ten, uh, you know, I try every day to get back to prayer. I th I, I'm not really great at getting up in the morning and, and hitting my knees, and, uh, and that's a cardinal rule. But the way that I have formed my higher power, it's, it's more of just, a, you know, silence is a big thing for me. So if I can be silent and just connect with that, uh, that inner flow and that thing that I consider behind all religions is the best way that I can say it then it guides me through my day. And I always say, guide my words, my thoughts, my actions. And, uh, and it helps direct me. And I still can't explain how that happens. But I can explain that when it does happen, it's, it's an extraordinary feeling. It, uh, you know, it elevates you, it, it motivates you. And uh, you know, oftentimes I compare that to previous, and I, and I see that big difference. So. Um, when I talk about uh, what happened, uh, you know, that's part of that, is being able to look at those two worlds, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde worlds and the <clears throat> where you were and where you are now. Um, it's a gift to be able to see that there's that difference in, um, in how it's worked in your life and then what your life is worth. I think that when I was growing up and I felt that sense of, being different, um, it was a sense of, of not, uh, a total lack of worthiness. You know, I like being the baby, but I was the fourth kid. My kids, my parents were tired of raising kids, you know, so it was just like, yeah, do whatever you want. And uh, yeah, so I, I think it's just, uh, wasn't I worth the discipline? Wasn't I worth, you know, sticking to something? Um, you know, mom, dad, look at how that affected me in the rest of my life. You messed me up, <laughs> uh, which is what we do. But uh, so a sense of worth is, um, it's another hard thing to develop, but it's another, uh, it's another egg in the, in the gift basket that AA provides to you. And, uh, and you can't put a price on that. You can't, I can't. Um, tell you what that's worth. It, it feels like feet on the ground for the first time and solid ground, not just, you know, clouds or, you know, 
me and my natural, gra my natural graces to like fall. I didn't come up this way because I knew I would break my leg. Um, but, uh, you know, feet on the ground and walking with confidence. Confidence? Really? Um, you know, and it kind of didn't make sense to me either because I just relied on the fact that I had the life that I had and, um, and I'm grateful to still have. But it's... Um, Opens up, opens up new horizons. I know that's a common theme in my talk here, but I just can't stress that enough. I can't, um, I can't describe that enough for me to tell you in words how that feels in here. Um, so I'm grateful that I have that. Um, step 11 and step 12. Um, have I had my spiritual awakening? I don't know if I have or not. Um, I know some days I'll be riding down the road and I listen to a lot of speaker tapes in my car and I'll be riding down the road and, um, and I'll hear something and it will move me in a way and I'll just go, oh my God, you know, yeah, that was meant just for me, you know, um, and I think those are many spiritual awakenings, you know, to be moved like that, to be, uh, you know, awaken in some way that you can appreciate and, and pay attention to and that grabs you. And, uh, and I've been fortunate to have, uh, have lots of that. Um, I'm still learning how to function independently of that need for approval from people. Uh, anybody that feels they're not worth anything, that they're not, not anything, but uh, whose self-esteem is way down here, whose sense of worth is way down here. It, you're dependent on what you think other people think of you. And, uh, and that's what you strive for, and we hear a lot about that here. Um, so for that not to be important, is, it's another you know, progress, not perfection. So I think my spiritual awakening is yet to be had. It's down the road, but I think it's going to come in little bite-sized pieces, and I'm okay with that. I'm good. Um, as long as I have people like Michelle around and I have uh, the willingness that uh, comes from somewhere, I don't know where that comes from. And anybody really explain that? Um, I know I can't. But uh, so that's where I, uh, where I came from, and that's where I am right now. Um, I, I do a meditation before I speak because I, I have to get away from here and down into here. And, uh, and when I speak, I, I try not to think about being here. I don't think about you know, well, I should bring this up, and this happened, and this is important, and oh, wouldn't this help somebody? And that's, you know, that's me trying to take back that, that power and, uh, and make something happen. Um, so in this meditation, I get my little messages, and it's not hallucinations, I swear. <laughs> I swear to God. Uh, and it just said, you know, um, not to think of words that the words would come when you need them, and, uh, and to trust the process. And I realized that I do trust it. And I didn't realize that before. Um, there's always that doubt for me. There's still that lingering doubt. Not that I'm alcoholic. I can tell you hands down I'm an alcoholic. Um, but there's that doubt in a higher power intervening in your life in a way that helps you 
down a path and gets you to where you're supposed to be. And you have to trust that process. And uh, so that's really hard. It's really hard. But I try to do that every day. Um, lots of stuff I try to do every day. My days are very busy. Um, you know, I don't know what else I can say about my growth in AA, except that I am happy every day that I get to wake up and find out what today is going to bring. Um, if it brings something, if I get a little nugget of something, or if it's this big breakthrough, um, I'm happy with that. Um, what I don't have to do is get up and, and hide behind a bottle or three of, uh, of wine. And I'm a little embarrassed to say that at the end of my drinking career, it was only champagne. <laughs> um, that, that always makes me a little uh, embarrassed to say that. But uh, it was. I can't, I can't tell you anything else. But uh, So one to three bottles of champagne every day. Quite the little tour of the uh, total wine champagne aisle. Um, but I don't have to do that. I don't, I don't have to hide behind that. And I can trust in something here that has been, uh, that has been shown and that uh, you know, leaves no doubt for me. And what I hope for each and everybody, each and everyone in this program is that they get a little bit of that. They get a little bit of that trust. And if, even if it's just a little bit every day, that gets to be a lot at some time when you look back at it like I tend to do. You know, I get here and I look back and I go, wow, it's a bigger thing than I think it is because it just happens in little increments. But uh, it's what I hope for every AA, every person that struggles with addiction or other um, diseases that cause us great difficulties in life and coping in life. And, and uh, misconceptions about what's real and what's not real. Because I think what we have here is real. And I think that knowing that reality is what gives me that strength under my step and gives me confidence. Um, I could not do that on my own. And that's another thing that's obvious that I held on to for a long time, long, long time. I can make this happen. I've done all this. Look at my accomplishments. They don't mean anything. And so uh, coming into the rooms of AA has given me a way of <clears throat> gaining that confidence and, uh, and having something to look back on that's a road of successes. And, uh, and I wake up every day happy that I can, you know, trudge that uh, happy road again. And, um, you know, I just hope that for each and every person that's, that's in this program and Mike, thank you so much for asking me to speak. It's always an honor, and I appreciate being here. And thank you for listening.